0: Inform Nation, welcome in to the Inform Fitness Podcast. Twenty minutes with New York Times best-selling author Adam Zickerman and friends. Except in this episode, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network and a client of Inform Fitness. This episode runs about the length of four of our regular episodes. Why? Well, Sheila and I took this episode off so Adam and Mike could spend some extra time with author Bill D. Simone. Bill penned the book Congruent Exercise, How to Make Weight Training Easier on Your Joints. Bill, of course, is also a personal trainer and a weightlifter himself, and he's well-known for his approach to weightlifting, which focuses on correct biomechanics to build strength without undue collateral damage to connective tissue and the rest of the body. So whether you're an aspiring trainer, a serious weightlifter, or even an in fitness client who invests just 20 to 30 minutes a week at one of their seven locations, this episode is chock full of valuable information regarding safety, in your high intensity strength training, a paramount platform of which the power of 10 resides at all Inform fitness locations across the country. Okay, this episode is long enough without me jabbering away, so let's get to it. Here's Mike Rogers, Adam Zickerman, and Bill D. Simone with congruent exercise how to make weight training easier on your joints.
1: So, this is not a day that goes by, I don't think, by the way, uh, that I don't think of something. Bill has said to me when I'm training people. Bill is basically my reference guide. He's my Gray's Anatomy. When I, when I try an exercise with somebody, I often find myself asking myself, what would Bill do? <laughs> and I take it from there. So without further ado, this is Bill. We're going to talk about all good stuff. Joint-friendly exercise is what Bill calls it now, um, yes. you, you, started, you started out with congruent exercise, a technical manual for joint-friendly
2: exercise, and now you have, uh, you're rephrasing it. Well, actually, uh, the first thing I did was moment arm exercise. Right. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't write moment arm exercise with the idea that anybody other than me was going to read it. I was just getting my own ideas down, taking my own notes, and um, just to flesh it out and to tie it up in a nice package, I actually wrote it. And had it bound up and sent it off to, I guess, Greg Anderson and McGuff and a couple others, and uh, it hit a little a wave of interest. A Wave. Um, they probably were blown away. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of those guys <laughs> went out of their way to call me to say, "Gee, a lot of what I suspected, you explained here." Um, but anyway, but 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 when I read it now, it, it's it's pretty technical. It's pretty. Yeah. It's, a, it's there's a, a. There's a lot of I think
3: common sense with an experienced trainer when you think about lever, levers, levers in general, and I think what you did in that in that manual was make it very succinct and very clear. I think it's it's, it's something that maybe we didn't have the full story on, but I think we had uh, some. Uh, I, you know, like if you have an, some experience and you care about safety as a trainer, I think you were kind of looking at it and you saw it observationally. And then I think uh, when we read this, we we're like, ah, finally, this was, this is crystallized. What I think some exactly. of us were really crystallized.
1: So you know what? I just realized we're not even we don't. Let, let's explain first and foremost. You wrote something called moment arm exercise. Yes. So the, the name itself. Shows you how technical it probably is inside, right? So, right. moment arm is a very technical term, very specific term in, in physics. But uh, then you, then you, now you're calling a joint-friendly exercise. So, and, and you called it also congruent exercise at one point. Correct. All, all synonymous with each other. So, please explain what is joint-friendly exercise or fitness.
2: It's based more on anatomy and biomechanics than sports performance. So, unlike you know a lot of the fitness fads that the attitude and the the verbiage comes out of say you know football practice or uh, a competitive sport. Um, what I'm doing is I'm I'm filtering all my exercise instruction through the anatomy and biomechanics books to try to avoid the vulnerable putting the joints in vulnerable positions. And that's so complicated, which is why I struggle so much to to make it clearer. So I started with moment arm exercise, and then I wrote. Congruent Exercise, which was a little broader, but obviously the title still requires some explanation. And then, um, now as it happened, in my personal training in the studio, I would use all this stuff, but I wouldn't explain it because I was only dealing with clients. I wasn't dealing with peers. Since it's a private studio, not a big gym, I don't have to explain the difference between what I'm doing and what somebody else is doing. But in effect, I've been doing this every day for 15 years.
1: You know, I have to say, when you say that, they didn't explain it to clients, I actually use this information as a selling point. I actually explain to my clients that why we're doing it this way as opposed to the conventional way because this is joint-friendly. I don't get too technical necessarily, but I let them know there is a difference of why we're doing it this way versus the conventional way so they understand that we we actually are cut above everybody else mm-hmm. in, in, in how we ap- apply excise, so they don't feel... You know, so they feel very secure in the fact that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But I digress. Well, but
2: you know what I do is, though, is any, any signage I have, business card, uh, website, Facebook presence, mm-hmm. all lays out joint-friendly and mm-hmm. defines it and kind of explains it. So um, I would say most of the clients I have aren't coming from being heavily engaged in another form of fitness they are people who, who start and drop out of programs or, you know, they join a health club in January and they drop out. Um, it's not like I'm getting somebody who is, like, really intensely into CrossFit or intensely into uh, Zumba or bodybuilding. And, and they're, now they're banged up and now they need to do something different. The joint friendly phrasing is what connects me with people that need that. I just find they don't, need the, they don't need the technical explanation as to why we're not overstretching the joint capsule in the shoulder. I can, you know, of course. Why we're not getting that extra range of motion on the bench press. Because, because, again, there's nobody. They haven't seen anybody doing otherwise. So I don't have to explain why get, I'm doing it this way. Yeah, but they might have had experience doing it themselves. Just take an overhead press,
1: for example. Having your arms externally rotated and mm-hmm. abducted versus having them in front of you. Yeah. Uh, they, there's, there's an easy explanation, right, to, to a client
2: why we won't do one versus the other. But I have to say, I do not get people who even know what a behind-the-neck press is. <laughs> now, in Manhattan, it's a little different. You know, it's more dense. So, so for
1: this conversation, let's assume some people know what an overhead press is. Okay. And they, they, they understand, in a way, what the conventional is. But we can kind of get into it. What is conventional? What's not conventional? So what is... What is so it's joint-friendly. So how is it joint-friendly? What, it, what, it, what are you actually doing to make it joint-friendly?
2: Well, what I do... The, the the short answer is I use a lot less range of motion than we got accustomed to mm-hmm. when we used to use an extreme range of motion. Thinking that if a... You know, if bodybuilders in the 60s were doing pumping motions mm-hmm. and then you want to expand that range of motion for a good reason and then that gets bastardized and now we we take more of a range of motion and we turn it into an extreme range of motion just because going from... Partial motions to a normal range of motion was good. doesn't make a normal ra- range of motion to an extreme ra- range of motion better. So what's, what's, what's wrong with extreme range of motion? Well, because... Don't you want to... Imp- they'll say that you want to improve
1: flexibility.
2: And I... Well, so the hit guys who would say you're going to improve flexibility by using... By the hit guys
1: the, means the high-intensity training uh, sect of, right. of our business.
2: Um, so, so, the, so the line about... You're going to use the extreme range of motion with a weight training exercise to increase flexibility. Well, first of all, either flexibility is important or it's not. And that's one of those things where HIT has a little bit of an inconsistency. In and they'll argue that it's not important, and then they'll argue, but you can get it with the weights. That's number one. <laughs> number two, you know, a lot of the joint positions that machines and conventional free weight exercise put us in, or can put us in, are very vulnerable to the joints. And if you go to an anatomy and a biomechanics textbook that is painfully obvious what those vulnerable positions are. And just because we walk into a gym or a studio and call, call it exercise instead of manual labor or instead of... Uh, <laughs> That's you what know, I say. Instead, of, instead of calling it submission wrestling and putting our joints or an opponent's joints in an externally rotated abduct in an extended position, if we call it a pec fly, it's still the same shoulder. It's still a vulnerable position, whether it's a pec fly stretching you back there or a jujitsu guy putting you in a paintbrush. Um, but from a, a, I don't know from most of the pop fitness books though if anybody else is really looking at this. Uh, so, well, certainly not in pop fitness. Maybe Tom Purvis. Purvis. Um, What's pop fitness? Well, I mean, I mean, if you walk into a bookstore and look in the fitness section, for instance, wow. any of those types of you know the best selling books. No, stuff no offense, celebrity books, you know, glossy celebrity fitness books. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know that anybody. And the feedback I've gotten from experienced guys like Wynette or guys we know personally mm-hmm. is, even McGuff said, yeah, I, I never put, you know, I never associated the joint stuff with the exercise stuff.
1: Let's talk about these vulnerabilities that you're talking about, in extremes of range of emotion, right? So you have to understand a little bit about muscle anatomy to understand... What we mean by the dangers of these extreme ranges of motion, right? Yep. I mean, so muscles are weaker in certain positions and they're stronger in other positions. Maybe talk about that because that's where you start getting into why we do what we do. Like understanding that muscles don't generate the same amount of force through a range of motion; they have different torque that's potentials. Right.
3: Yeah. And, and is there a, like a very clear and concise way of communicating that to a lay person, too? <laughs> I mean, like I mean, I we I mean, we have practice at it, but you know, I think that's uh, I mean, and here we're or over the radio, or over the podcast. So it's like to, you know, describing pictures with words.
2: The, the easiest way to show it to a client who may not understand what muscle torque is is to have them lock out in an exercise. Mm-hmm. We'll say, let's say, we'll take a safe exercise, a barbell curl, where clearly, if you allow your elbows to come forward and be vertically under the weight at the top of the repetition, clearly, all of a sudden, the effort's gone. There's no, there's no resistance. But if you pull, let your elbows drop back to rib height, if you pin your elbows to your sides through the whole curl, now all of a sudden your effort feels even. Instead of, feeling like, instead of having effort and then a, a, a lockout, Get points, lighter, right? or having a sticking Unload, point yeah. and a lockout, now it just feels like effort.
1: Or a chest press where, the, where the, your, arm, your, your elbows are straight and the weight's just sitting on those elbows. You're not really working too hard S- there either.
2: Same, same thing, right? If you have a lockout, so, so what's easy to demonstrate is when the resistance torque that the machine or exercise provides doesn't match your muscle torque. So if your muscle torque pattern changes in the course of a movement, if you feel a lockout or a um, sticking point, then it's not aligned. If all, if all you feel is effort, now it matches pretty evenly. Now, now here's the thing. All that really means, and part of why I got away from moment arm, all that really means is that that set's going to be very efficient. So, like, for instance, the whole length of the repetition you're working. It's not like you work and then lock out and rest. All that means is that it's going to be a very efficient set. You can't change the muscle torque curve. So if you were to just do some kind of weird angled exercise, you wouldn't get stronger in that angle. All you would do is use a, a relatively lower weight like if you if no nobody does in a um, like a Scott bench curl nobody curls more than a standing curl. You can't change the muscle torque curve. You might change the angle, which means the amount of weight in your hand has to change to accommodate the the different uh, torque at that joint angle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're not changing where you're strongest. If you could, you would never know you had a bad camp, right? Because if you if you're if your muscle if the, if the pattern if your muscle torque pattern could change with a good cam it would also change with a bad cam and then you would never know mm-hmm. but take a dumbbell side raise everybody on the planet knows it's hardest when your arms are horizontal see your muscle torque curve can never change to accommodate what the resistance is asking now if you go f- from a machine side raise which is f- has more even like where the, those two curves match, that set feels harder because you don't have the break. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, you do a set of side raises with dumbbells to failure. If it feels, if it's a difficulty level, a ten, a, a four, say, out of ten, and then you go to a machine side raise and go to failure, it's like a ten because you didn't have that break built into, into the actual rep. Uh, When it comes to so so that's so the moment arms, knowing knowing how to match the resistance required by the exercise and the muscle torque expressed by your limbs, that makes for a more efficient exercise. In terms of safety, it's all about knowing what the vulnerable positions of the joints are and cutting the exercise short so that you're not loading the joint into an impingement or into um, uh, like an overstretched position.
3: How how different are these? Or like thinking about limitations and range of motion. I mean, we mentioned that before, and I think it's kind of adjacent to what you're talking about. Is is uh, because we also want to you know help people understand if they're on their own exercising or other trainers who want to help their clients, and for our our trainers to help our clients. Um, Troubleshooting. We know generally how the you know how the joints work. You know where they're strong, where the strength curves exist, but how do discern where those limitations are like you, know, you, just, you said before that one of the things that you do is you limit range of motion yeah. and get much more stimulus and, you know, and well,
2: muscle. I'm saying limit range of motion because that, that might be the verbiage that we understand and maybe the listeners would understand mm-hmm. but it's, it's really a lot more complicated than just saying use this range of motion uh, so for instance um, In a low back exercise, say a stiff-legged deadlift, which when I used to misinterpret that by using a full range of motion, I would be standing on a bench with a barbell, and the barbell would be at shoe level, my knees would be locked, my lower back would be rounded, my shoulders would be up by my ears as I'm trying to get the bar off the ground. And so yes, I was using a full range of motion. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It gave me pain.
3: If the description, that's <laughs> also a
2: pretty much of a disaster on your lower yeah, back, waiting kid. to happen, at least on your lower back. And yeah, I got to go to a chiropractor just listening to that. Exactly. Yeah, b- but but you still see it all the time. You know, um, you see it all the time when people are using kettlebells. You see that exact posture, right? The, the kettlebell is between their legs, their knees are locked, their lower back is rounded. And then now they're doing a speed, lead. at least I was doing them slow. They're, they're doing speed <laughs> deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if I was going to do a, an exercise like that, it wouldn't be an extreme range of motion. I'd be looking to use a correct range of motion. So for instance, I wouldn't lock the knees, and I would only lower the person's torso so that they could keep the curve in the lower back, right? which might require a rep or two to see where that is. But once you see where that is, that's what I would limit them to.
3: Do you do it with uh, with no weight at first with the client? That would be one way of of, of lining it so up, sort of seeing what they can do, just by making right. make sure they understand the position
2: and stuff. So, for instance, uh, the chest press machine I have in the studio is a Nitro, and Nautilus Nitro. Nautilus Nitro, and it doesn't. The seat doesn't adjust enough for my preference, so. The, back the, per, the, the person's top? elbows come too far back. Right. So, first is to get the first rep off the ground. The person's elbows have to come way, by, way behind the plane of their back, which so you pin the
1: weight stack. Then
2: I've come to real. You could pin the weight stack, right?
1: It's like our pullover
3: yeah, like, You how know, we have to pull it over you oh, know, yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah.
2: So what I so what I'll do is like you know I'll help the person out of the first repetition, help them out of the bottom, and then I'll have either my hand or the clipboard where. Mm. I the want their elbow out. to stop. So as soon as they touch my hand, and my elbow they begin to rep the other way. So they're
1: not stretching their pecs too far.
2: Well, they're not. More specifically, they're not stretching too far. They're the far, rotator they're they're they're, they're shoulder capsule, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing we tend to do is we tend to think of everything in terms of the big superficial muscles, right? Because those it. are
1: the ones that rarely get
2: hurt, right? The the, right. Those form. are the ones that don't get hurt. It's it's <laughs> the joint set. That, that was one thing of all the stuff I read, whether it was CSCS or Darden stuff or Jones's stuff there was always a little murkiness between what was the joint and what was the muscle. And, and that, the, that stuff was always written from the point of view of the muscle, right? What's a, what's a joint
1: capsule, for those that don't know what a joint capsule is, a shoulder capsule? Well,
2: it's, it's part of the structure of what holds your shoulder together. And so if, you, if, if the, the old Nautilus machines, you know, 1980 vintage, that bragged about getting such an extreme range of motion... Um, some of them, you, you, it really took your shoulder to the limit of where it could go to start the exercise, and, and we were encouraged to go that far. Um, and what it, would happen?: Eventually, you, you, eventually it just adds to the wear and tear that you were going to have in your shoulder anyway. Um, and that's if people stayed with it. I think a lot of people ended up dropping out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Oftentimes exacerbating, yeah, exacerbating what was going on.
2: Yeah, you know, you rarely see, I mean, it's, it's occasional we have that catastrophic event in yeah, the gym. That, yeah, that's it's occasional. Never, yeah, almost never happens. And well. a lot of the grief I take from my material is, well, that never happens. People do this exercise all the time. You know, they never yeah. explode their spine. Well, A, that's not true. They do, just not in that person's awareness right, at that moment. And B, but the real problem is, Unnecessarily adding to life's wear and tear on your joints. So it's not just what we do in a gym that counts. If somebody plays tennis or somebody has a uh, desk job, (laughs) a desk job or a manual labor job, and they're constant, let's say you know a plumber or or some other manual labor guy has to go over his head with his arms a lot, that wear and tear on his shoulder counts. (laughs) And just because they walk into your gym and you ask them on a health history, you have any orthopedic problems, they say no. Yes, I'm on the verge of an orthopedic problem that I don't know about, and I've worn this joint out because of work. But no, I have no orthopedic problems at the minute, at the moment. So, you know, my thing is, uh, my, the exercise I'm prescribing isn't going to make that worse. Well, uh, you
1: don't want it to make it worse. And well, and and that's why you're limiting range of motion. That's why you're that's right. matching the strength curve of the muscle with the resistance curve of the of, of the tool you're using, whether right. it be a free weight or a machine with a cam. Right.
2: Um, because again, we're supposed, to be doing this for, for, we're supposed to be doing this for the benefits of exercise. Like, I, I do not, I truly do not understand crippling yourself over the magic benefit of exercise. I mean, it's just, there's no, you know, in the 2014, there was a lot of negative publicity about CrossFit with some of the really catastrophic injuries coming about. Mm-hmm. There's no magic benefits just because you risk your life. Now, you either benefit from exercise or you don't, but you don't get extra magic benefit um, because you push something to the brink of uh, you know, uh, cracking your spine or tearing your shoulder apart. So, Well, they talk
1: about them being functional or natural
2: movements. that, that uh, they, they
1: do encourage these full ranges of motion because that's what you do in life, right? So doing… Where?
2: <laughs> Where? You
3: know, I, well, I mean,
1: like, in
3: sports, for example, there's uh, you're extending your body into a range of... And, and also, there are things in life, like, for example, like, you know, I was saying to Adam, like, you know, for example, sometimes you have to lift uh, something that's heavy, and you have to reach over, a, a, like, a... Like a Whatever, a boundary yeah, in like front you put, of you. like, to it, like do you're something. putting it in the
2: trunk of a car, so, so
3: Things like that, or, or even like. Uh, it, so, shouldn't uh, you exercise that way if that's what you're doing in everyday if, life? If, if your daily life does involve occasional extreme ranges of motion, which you, as, that's the reason why your joints are kind of wearing re- and tearing anyway, is there something you can do to assist in training that without hurting it, you know, or right. exacerbating it?
2: So you know, you know what's interesting is twenty twenty five years ago there was a movement in physical therapy and they would have back schools and they would it was sort of like an occupational oriented thing where they would mm. teach you how to lift mm. and at the time, I thought that was so frivolous I just thought get stronger, but lifting it right in the first place is really the first step to not getting injured right like what, so, don't
3: so, don't lift that into the into the trunk unless you have uh, unless you have
2: well unless it, you have to right? right i mean but but but, but for instance. Practicing bad movements doesn't make you invulnerable to the bad movements. You're just wearing out your free passes. Right. Um, now, sport is, is a different animal, right? Yes, you're going to be... I, again, I don't think anyone's doing this, but there's enough wear and tear just in your sport, whether it's football, martial arts, running. Why add more wear and tear from your workout that's there to support the sport? Um... You know, the original Nautilus marketing pitch was, look how, efficient, look how efficient we made weight training. You can spend more time practicing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you don't have to spend four hours a day in the gym. You can spend a half hour twice mm-hmm. a week, or three times a week in the gym and get back practicing.
1: Honestly, I got, remember Greg Anderson said to a basketball coach that if uh, if his team is in his gym more than 20 minutes or so a week, that he's turning them into weightlifters, not basketball players. Well, there you go.
3: <laughs> now, now, I mean, the injuries, the the thing is the training and the performance goals and the technology and getting people stronger, faster, all that kind of stuff is, like, unbelievable nowadays, but I've never seen more injuries in sports in my entire it's, life it's, than right now. It's, it's unbelievable.
2: Bogus is what it is, though. Yeah, I mean, just this year, right? A lot of pectares in, in NFL training rooms, right? Unbelievable. Why, um, so why aren't they learning? Why 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 is this so hard
1: to get across that?
2: Because you because well, well for starters, you're gonna churn out you, first of all, you didn't with twenty year olds, right? They can tolerate almost yeah, so anything. What, so what are you break. saying about twenty year olds? They're a lot more I was a lot more invincible <laughs> at twenty and I am at, at sixty. Oh, so twenty physically and feel and, and psychologically. Feel like they're invincible, huh? Absolutely. So you so so, so but, but the other thing, for instance, let's say you at a college level. Screw those 20-year-olds. Th- this is not my, my experience. I'm repeating this. But if you have a weight room that's empty or – and you're the strength and conditioning coach because you're intensely working people out briefly every day. The rest of the time, they're idle. They're off doing their own thing. Or every day, the administrators and the coaches see people running hoops and – and and doing agility drills and running with parachutes on, and every day there's activity going. What looks better? <laughs> what is more job security for that strength and conditioning coach? So it all comes down to economics. You have that. <laughs> we're, we're, wait a
1: second. Uh, what what is Jim, the strength training coach, doing? He's he's working one day a week with the team, and exactly. what's he doing the rest of the week? <laughs> and what's the team doing the rest of the week?
2: <laughs> what's the team? So <laughs> wait a second. Um, but, but, again, also, don't forget, again, if you're talking about 20-something-year-old athletes, they're going to tolerate it. I mean, who knows what that's going to bring on later. So, so for instance, one of the... We are of seeing years- more injuries, though. and you are seeing more injuries, right. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, ESPN had a story on a guy. He had gotten injured doing a barbell step-up. So a barbell step-up, You put a barbell on your back, you step onto a bench, bring the other foot up, step back off the bench, four repetitions, okay? Classic sports conditioning exercise. Mm -hmm. In this guy's case, either he stepped back and twisted his ankle and fell with the bar on his back, or when he went to turn, to put the bar back in the rack, when he turned, it spun on him and he damaged his back that way. Either way, he put his ability to walk at risk. So the ESPN story was, oh, look how great this is. He's back to playing. Yes, but he put his ability to walk at risk, to do an exercise that is really not significantly, it's more dangerous than other ways of working the legs. It's not better. Like they don't have, ev- like the
1: coaches here, the, 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 the physical trainers, they don't have evidence that doing step-ups is any more effective uh, not at in, all. in the performance of their sport or in the, even in their just pure strength gains than let's say doing a safe version of a leg press
2: or, or even squats for that matter. And even if you wanted to go for more of an endurance thing, right? Running stadium steps was a classic exercise, right? But stadium steps were, were what? Three or four inches? They made them very flat? Mm-hmm. Even that's safer because there's no bar on your back. Right. So on the barbell step up, which I think is still currently in the NSCA textbooks, <laughs> right? The bar's on your back. If the bench is too high... You have to bend over in order to get your center of gravity over the bench. Otherwise, you can't get off the floor. So now you're bent over <laughs> with one foot in front of you, right? So now you don't even have two feet under you like in a barbell squat to be more stable. You have your feet in line with the weight extending sideways. Uh, and now you do your 20 repetitions or whatever, and you're on top of the bench, and your, your legs are burning, and you're, you're breathing heavy. And now you got to get off. How do you get off that bench when your legs are gas? You're gonna break the lock in your knee, and the floor is gonna come up, and you, nobody steps forward; they all step backward, where you can't see. It's a, it's a disaster even
3: it after do, even after doing an exercise. Let's say you did it okay, whatever, and it, whether it was congruent or not congruent. Sometimes, if it's like a free weight type of thing, like just getting the weight back. You know, on the floor or on the rack is such a you know after you've gone to uh, muscle
1: failure or close. to So are to these a muscle things failure? common now? Still in the, like in the NFL, they're doing these kind of training techniques. You
2: know, I don't I don't really know what's happening in the NFL um, or in the college level because frankly, I stopped my NSCA membership because I couldn't use any of the material with my population anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I don't really know what they're. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that's a, that was a classic one, and as recently as say 2014. In fact, one other athlete actually did lose his ability to walk, getting injured in that exercise. Mm. Um, you know, I uh, just I know like uh, I mean, one it's of cost my... benefit right? I mean, like how much more benefit are you getting? For, I mean, do well, they really but, feel they're getting some huge But it's just benefit. cost. See, my point is the benefit is there. Peer, it's either or. Either well, that, you get the, the thing benefit, is, people
3: don't know it, though. They think the benefit is there. That's the yes. problem. The additional they, benefit they for think, doing it that way. They like, think there's
2: a... It's a, like... You know, for double the risk, you're going to get quadruple the benefit. What? What benefit? Yeah, I know. What what magic benefits comes out of, uh, uh, you know, risking your your ability to walk at
3: risk? One of my clients has had a daughter who was recruited to uh, row at uh, Lehigh, which is a really good school for that. And uh, uh, she, in the training program, you know, she was recruited to go. She was a great student, but she was recruited to, uh, to row. And uh, in the training program, she, uh, she hurt her back, like, doing in the weight room in the fall and never, ever, uh, you know, was with the team. And that's a, that's a, this, is a, this is a very, very good program. I don't, okay, yeah, uh,
2: very good program. Yeah. So it's rowing.
3: High so, reputation. So, so
2: yeah. A, it's rough on your lower back, period. Yeah, yeah. And B, I'm completely guessing here. But at one time they used to have their athletes doing cleans and other things explain to clean, explain you know, what a clean barbell's is barbells on the floor mm-hmm. and you either either you pull it straight up and squat under the bar, which would be like an Olympic clean, Goes over the head. or you're a little more upright and you just sort of drag the bar up to your collarbones and get your elbows underneath it. Either way it's hard on the back. But at one time r- rowing conditioning featured a lot of exercises like that to get their backs stronger that they're already wearing out in the boat mm-hmm. they didn't ask me but if but if i was coaching them <laughs> mm-hmm. i would not train their lower backs in the offseason mm-hmm. i would let the rowing take care of that i would train everything around their back and give their back a break but they didn't ask
1: they didn't ask <laughs> i don't know why they didn't ask you didn't they know you wrote congruent exercise?
2: That's you know, you know what you got go to go to the receptive audience.
3: Yeah, you know I think because there are things that we do in our lives that are outside, occasionally outside our range of motion or outside our, you know, they're just incongruent or um, not joint friendly, whether it's in sports or not. Um, the thing is, like, I, like I'm I'm wondering, are there exercises that go like, for example, say like you have to go, your sport asks for range of motion. From one to ten, okay, uh, and you need to be prepared to do that, whatever, or you know, if you want to do it, the person desires to do that. Is there are there exercises that where you go? Can you be more prepared for that movement if you are doing it with a load or just a body weight load, whatever, uh, up to say level four? You know, is that like are there situations where it's okay to do that, uh, where you're going a slight increase into that? Into that range where it's not compromising joint safety, and it's getting you a little bit more prepared to handle something that's going on, you know, if you have to. So, overextend. for example, if uh,
1: for a golf, would you for a golf swing? So, when you do a golf swing, you're torquing the back more than you probably should in a safe range of motion in an exercise, right? I would never torque somebody's back in the exercise room to the level that you have to torque your back to play golf, right? So, I guess what Mike's asking is, is there an exercise that would that would be safe to talk the back almost as much as you would have to uh, in golf?
2: I would say no. I would say, and golf's a good example, right? Now, if you, if you notice, nobody has their feet planted and tries to swing with their upper body. Right? Well, a lot of people do. Those are the, the, that's how you hurt yourself oh, very, very I was quickly. Say, well, right. right. <laughs> but, but, just by, but, but any sport, tennis, throwing a baseball, throwing a punch you know, get your hips into it. It's a right. like standard coaching cl- cliche, get your hips into it, right? Because that, what that does is it keeps you from twisting your back too much. Um, in golf, even even a Tiger, right, who d- was in shape for quite a while, couldn't help but over-twist, and then he's out for quite a while with back problems, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, his, his, uh, his story is really interesting and complicated. He did got into, like, Navy SEAL training, and also, you should see the ESPN article on oh, that, which okay. really, that, I think, was based on after i read that i thought that was the you know the big you know thing with his problems Going with what you just said about putting your hips into it, you know, right. I'm I'm a you know I'm a golfer. I try to play I try to play golf, and uh, you know I did the, the TPI certification. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, it's yeah, like a title? yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually it was uh, I thought it was really wonderful. I, I I felt like I learned a lot. It wasn't like the gospel according to the world of biomechanics, but I thought it was a big step in the right direction with helping with sports performance and uh, understanding strength and mobility, and you know one of the basis of you know the foundations of it you know they they uh, put you know the body you know they computer you know analysis over the body in the best golfers the ones who do it very very you know efficiently mm-hmm. powerfully and consistently and they showed uh, what they called was a kinematic sequence and it's actually very similar as you said in all sports tennis, golf throwing a punch you know it's like it is It's a, there's a sequence where they see the people who do it really really well um, and in a pain free way Uh by it goes hips first, then torso, then arm, then club in a mm-hmm. in a very measured sequence. Despite a lot of people who have different looking golf swings, like Jim Furyk, Tiger Woods, John Daly, completely different body types, completely different golf swings, but they all have. The, if you look at them on the, the screen and in, in slow motion with all the sensors all over their body, their kinematic sequence is identical, and it it, it leads to a a very powerful and consistent and efficient swing. But if you say like you have limitations you know uh in your mobility between your hips and your lumbar spine you know, or your lumbar spine and your torso, and it's all kind of going together like yeah, your hips so aren't
2: it throws the timing off it's, it throws timing off yeah. and
3: if you don't have those types of things uh very slowly you're probably gonna get or, or if quickly you're gonna get to an you're gonna get to an injury quicker than another person will get to an injury yeah that makes you sense know? and uh and um But the thing is, at the same time, you don't want to stop someone who really wants to be a good golfer. You know, I mean, as we have to give the information, and we have to, you know, and this is a, you know, people have to learn how to, the biomechanics and the swing, the basic swing mechanics of a golf swing, and then there's a fitness element to it all. You know, are you you strong enough? Do you have the range of motion? Is there proper mobility between the segments of your body in order to, to do this without hurting yourself over time. And if there isn't, how do, you know, golf professionals and fitness professionals are struggling, how do I teach you how to do this, even though it's probably gonna lead you to an injury uh, down the line anyway? You know, it's, uh, it's a puzzle, but the, uh, the, the, bat, the, the final question is, what exercise, I guess I'm trying to find, you know, I'm trying to, uh, to um, safely help people who have goals with sports performance And without hurting them, you know?
2: Well, first of all, any time you go from exercise, in air quotes, to sports, right? With sports, is almost an assumption of risk. Like the person playing golf assumes they're going to hurt a rotator cuff or a back. Or they at least know it's a possibility, right? And it's just part of the game. A football player knows they could have a knee injury. Maybe now they know they can have a concussion but they just accept it by stepping on the court or the turf. They walk into our studio, I don't think that ex- that expectation... They may expect it also, but I don't think it, it really belongs there. Like, I, I don't think you're doing something to prepare for the risky thing. The thing you're doing to prepare for the risky thing shouldn't also be risky. And besides, let him get hurt on that guy's time, not on, not on your time. Right, it's a good point. I but not, no, no, that, that'll be a little yeah. facetious there. I, I don't buy the, the, the macho... Um, bullshit attitude that, in order to challenge myself physically, uh, I have to do something so reckless that I could get hurt. That's just simply not necessary. If somebody says I want to be an Olympic weightlifter, I want to be a powerlifter, just like if they want to be a mixed martial artist. Well, you're you're accepting the fact that there's risk that activity is is your priority, not your joint health, not your safety. That activity is your priority. And again, nobody in professional sports is asking me, but I would still make the the exercise as safe as possible, as vigorous as safe as possible first, then as vigorous as possible, right? And then let them take that conditioning and apply it to their sport.
1: Yeah. If, if a sport requires, that scapular retraction at a certain time in a swing or whatever it is that they're asking for, I don't really think there's a way of in the exercise room working on just that. Scapular retraction. And even if you can doesn't mean it's going to translate to the biomechanics and the and the neuro conditioning and the motor skill conditioning required to put it all together. Yeah, I, but
2: you can't I, think that much, You can't think that. You can't think, that, you thinking, can't think I'm that, I'm that much. I'm just thinking
1: for- once and for all: if, if strong hips are what's important for this sport, if a strong neck is what's re- is important for this, if being able to rotate the spine is important, and the, and you need your rotation muscles of the spine, work your spine rotationally, but in a very safe range of motion, tax those muscles. Let them recover and get strong. And so when you do go play your sport, let's say a golf swing, it's, the, it's it's watching the videos and perfecting your biomechanics. But there's nothing I think you can do in the gym that is going to help you really coordinate all those skills because you're f- trying to isolate a hip abductor or, or, or a shoulder retractor.
2: I, well, well, I was going to say, I think isolating the muscles in the gym is fine because it allows you to control what's happening, right? You don't have too many moving parts. And this is kind of leading up to the conversation is good, but on functional training. But even if you training. could do that, I mean, yeah, you might notice. Right, like there, right but, there's but you a, don't, there's if you go to throw a punch, there. you don't tell yourself, okay, flex the elbow, extend at the shoulder... Now, flex the shoulder. You know, you don't break no, down. You have a movements. coach kind of getting your hips into. You know, they you call them broad, arm right.
1: It's right. Broad, you know, broad, gross there are a lot movements. of a lot of a lot of boxers that didn't make it because they were called arm punchers. Exactly. Right. They, they, exactly. Right? And so, so, at some point, you can't. And train Sometimes it. you couldn't train. At some point, you could to-
2: recognize it. Like, gee, that guy has good hip movement. Right. Let me direct him to this sport. Right. So I think
1: what Mike's asking is, there some kind of exercise you can do to turn an arm puncher? Let's use this as an example. To turn an arm punch into a hip puncher. If you can See, maybe I, do something in the gym. I
2: think that's practice, gym. though. I think that's. Pra-
3: I, think that's- I, I think I think there's a practice part of it. Um, like going back to the golf swing, one of the things that they were making a big deal out of is and it goes back to what we mentioned before, like uh, uh, sitting at a desk and the, and the, you know what's going on with our bodies, our backs, our hips, our hamstrings as a result of the amount of time you know, that most of us in our lives have, I mean, we, we're trainers, we're up on our feet all day, but a lot of people are in a seated position all the time. In a, you know, with a-
2: Yeah, know, they're hunched over, they're hunched, hunched over, their,
3: forward. their lower back is yeah. in a, a, a rounded position. Are shortened, yeah. Everything and all the concepts. What, what is going on in the body if your body is, if you're under those uh, uh, conditions, 8 to 10 hours a day, 5 days a week, not to mention, you know, every time you sit down in your car, on the train, have a meal if you're in a fetal position, it's like you my point is there's they made a big thing at TPI about how we spend, you know, 18 to 20 hours a day in hip flexion and what's going on, what how does that affect your glutes if you're in hip flexion for 20 hours a day? you know and, and right. they were they were discussing a term called reciprocal inhibition mm-hmm. okay which is uh, you know you know what i mean by that yeah, one. Yeah, if it well, the, the, the if muscle
2: that's contracting, the opposite muscle is is has to relax. Exactly. They can't both exactly. Yeah. And if, exactly. So if the hip
3: is being flexed, so as the antagonist muscle is the glute, which is being right. shut off, right. and and
2: therefore because and then when you go to hip hinge, your glutes aren't strong enough to do the hip hinge, and so you get into a bad swing.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And the thing and the thing is, as I said so before, what, are, you, what if, are they recommending you do? Then? Well, the, well, the thing is, they're saying that several different exercises to activate the glutes specifically. In, how, would that,
1: uh, how is that different than just doing a leg press, which will activate? The well,
3: the muscle. thing is, Adam. Is a, I mean, that, that's a good question. And the thing is, and it, it comes back to some of the testimonials of what you do with, with clients. You know, oftentimes when you put them on a leg press, uh, they'll say, i do not feel my glutes. I'm only feeling it in my quads." You know, and other people say, "I'm feeling lots of my glutes. I'm only uh, and my hamstrings and a little bit in my quads."
1: But if they don't feel it in their glutes, doesn't mean <laughs> their glutes aren't activated for sure. Yeah, but the uh, uh, uh,
2: well, Bill, what do you what think? Th- like yeah, Bill that's of Bill. It. What
1: do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think feel is very overrated in our line of work. The guy can get you to feel something, but it's not a you know you know you can do a concentration curl, a tricep kickback, or you know donkey kicks with a cuff, and you'll feel something because you're not because um, you're making the muscle about to cramp, but that's not necessarily a positive, right. As far as activating the glutes, glutes go, if they don't feel on the leg press, I would go to the abductor machine. Right. And but I mean, is it? I mean,
3: I mean, it, okay. Whether it's uh, feel is overrated. I mean, that's the that's the thing that, like, as a trainer, like, I I, w- I really want the train the the client to actually really make the connection with the muscle part. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, yeah. You have to steer. You have to steer it though. Um, so for instance, if you put somebody on the abductor machine and they feel the sides of their glutes burn, in that case the feel matches what you're trying to do. If you have somebody doing these uh, glute bridging exercises where their shoulders are on a chair and their hips are on the ground and knees are bent and they're kind of just driving their hips up, that you feel that, but it's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's not. You know, you're feeling it because you're trying to get the glutes to contract at the end of where they're away from their strongest point. You're not taxing the glutes. You're getting a feeling, but it's not really ch- challenging the, the, the strength of the glutes. So I think what happens with a lot of, a, a lot of the approaches like you're describing, hmm. where they have a half a dozen exercises to wake up the glutes or engage or whatever the phrase is. Activate. Activate the glutes, yeah. yes, excuse me. <laughs> um, your terminology there's, right. kind no. of a, there's kind of a continuity there, right? So it should be more of a progression rather than all these exercises are valid.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But if you've got a hip abductor machine, the progression is, is there already.
3: You know, the thing is, it's also, I gotta tell you, a big emphasis is uh, it's been going back to TPI and, and golf and stuff is the mobility factor. You know what I'm saying? So it's well, not, so th- I think that's that's the strength is there oftentimes uh, but there's a mobility issue every once in a while and I think that is uh, and if something is if like for example if there's if you're very very tight and if your glutes are supposed to go first so says TPI mm-hmm. through their kinematic sequence but because you're so tight that it's going together you know uh, and therefore you know it's causing a whole mess of other things which might make your club hit the ground first and then tension in the arms and tension in the back and all sorts of things um I guess, I, 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 I mean, I'm thinking maybe this is there, is, there are other points, maybe the mobility thing is, has to be addressed m- m- in relation to a golf swing more so than are the, gr- are the glutes actually working or not?
2: Well, the answer is it all could be. You know, I mean, so, so, so getting back to a broader point, the way we train people takes a half hour, twice a week maybe. That leaves plenty of time for this person to do mobility work or flexibility work if they have a specific activity that they think they need to work in. Or a golf uh, practice. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> but, I'm saying, but even if it's golf and even yeah. if they, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're training for strength once or twice a week, that leaves a lot of time that you can do some of these mobility things if the person needs them. That type of program, uh, you know, NASS, NASM has a very elaborate personal tra- trainer program, But they they tend to equally weight every possible, you know. Some people work at a desk and they're not over. You you know, their posture is fine. Maybe they just intuitively stretch during the day. So I think a lot of those programs try to give you every a recipe for every possible eventuality. And then there's a continuum within that that recipe, right? First we're going to do one leg bridges. Then we're going to do two leg bridges. Now we're going to do two leg bridges on a ball. Now we're going to do two leg bridges with an extra weight. Now we're gonna do two leg bridges with an elastic band. Some of those things are just progressions. They're not, there's no magic to any one of those exercises. But I think that's on a case by case basis, right? If the person says, I'm having trouble doing the swing the way the instructor's teaching me, then you could pick it apart. But, I, I, but that, the answer is not necessarily weight training.
3: Right. And the limitation could be weakness, but it could be mobility thing. It could be a whole bunch of things. It could be just their mechanics are just off.
2: And it could just be that it's a bad sport for them. Right. Like maybe maybe the postural issue. You know, the only thing with postural issues, if you get them when a the person's young, you might be able to, to correct them. You get, get a person, you know, 60, 70. Yeah. It may have settled into the actual joints. The joints actually may have changed shape. Yeah, we got people with kyphosis all the time, and we're like, we're not going to, we're not going to reverse gonna the kyphosis. that
0: kyphosis.
1: I mean, you know, you have these women that are, I find it a lot with tall women, right? They grow up taller than everyone being else in shy. their class, and they're shy, so yep. they, they end up being kyphotic because they're shy to stand up tall. Right. Uh, you can't. I, I've never been able. to, I mean, you can prevent further degeneration and, and further maybe kyphosis. at
2: 20 or 25, if you catch that maybe you can train they can train out of it but if you get it when it's already locked in that's all you can do is not do more damage yeah so a lot of people feel and argue that
1: machines are great if you want to just do really high intensity get really deep and go to failure but if you want to really learn how to use your body in space then then free weights and body weight movements need to be incorporated. And both are important. Uh, going to failure with, say, machines in a safe manner that may be cammed properly. But that in and of itself is not enough. That a lot of people feel for full fitness or conditioning, if you will. Uh, you need to use free weights or body weight movements.
3: Yeah, some people even think that uh, machines are bad and only body weight should be
1: done. And so do so you have an opinion about whether uh, One's better than the other. They both serve different purposes, and they're both important. Or if you just use either one of them correctly, uh, you're good.
2: Well, I mean, let's talk about the the idea that free weights are more functional than machines. I personally think it's what you do with your body that makes it functional or not. And by functional, I'm... uh, That's... um, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about functional training. I'm half-mocking that phrase. All right. So so before we even
1: go into the question I just asked, maybe we can talk about uh, this idea of what... Because people are throwing around the expression functional training nowadays. So CrossFit is apparently functional training.
2: So what exactly was functional training. Well, see, I don't know what they're what talking has, about. And what has it become? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what they're talking yeah, about. Because so wh- frankly, if I got to move a tire from point A to point B, I'm rolling it. I'm not flipping it. <laughs> All right? So I don't... Yeah, I don't yeah. That would be more functional, wouldn't it? You would think. <laughs> um, and if I got to lift something... <laughs> if I have to lift something... If I have a child or a bag of groceries I have to lift, I'm not going to lift a kettlebell or a dumbbell awkwardly to prepare for that awkward lift. In other words, I would rather tra- train my muscles safely, and then if I have to do something awkward, hopefully I'm strong enough to get through it, to withstand right. it. Right. Um, my thought was, like when I started in 1982 or so, 84, 83, somewhere in the early 80s I started this training. So old. Most of, um, most of us at the time were very influenced by the muscle magazines. So it was either the muscle magazines or the Nautilus once set the failure type training. But the people we were training in the early 80s, especially in Manhattan, they weren't bodybuilders and they weren't, they weren't necessarily athletes. So to train business people and celebrities and actors, et cetera, like you would train an athlete seemed like a bad idea. Plus, you know, how many times did I hear, oh, I don't want to get big or, you know, um, I'm not going out for the Olympics. Okay, fine. So, But then getting to what Mike was saying before, if someone has a hunched over shoulder or whatever, now you're tailoring the, the training to what the person is in front of you, right? To, to what's relevant to their life. You know, if 20-inch arms didn't fascinate them, why are you training them to get 20-inch arms, right? Maybe, a, ty- maybe a, a trimmer waist was more their, their priority. So to my eye, functional training and personal training back in the 80s was synonymous. Somewhere... Through since the 80s, functional training turned into this anti machine um, approach. And, you know, functional training for sport was a book written by a guy named Mike Boyle. His, his main point in there is, and I'm paraphrasing, so if I get it wrong, you know, don't, don't blame what him. Forgive you. Don't blame him. But his point was as an athlete, you don't necessarily need to bench heavy or squat heavy or deadlift heavy, although it might be helpful. But you do need the muscles that hold your joints together to be in better shape. So all of his exercises were designed around rotator cuff, around the muscles around the spine, muscles around the hips, muscles around the ankles. Mm -hmm. So in his eye, it was functional for sport. He was training people, doing exercises so that they would hold their posture together so that that wouldn't cause a problem on the field. And... You know, that material was pretty good. Went a little overboard, I think, in some ways, but generally it was pretty good. But then it got kind of bastardized as it got got caught into the commercial fitness industry, and it just became an excuse for sequencing, like, a a lunge with a curl, with a row, with a push-up, to another lunge, to a squat. It just became sort of a random collection of movements justified as being functional. Functional for what? Right? At least Boyle said it was functional for sport. His point was to cut injuries down in sport. Where's the function in stringing together, um, again, a curl to a press to a push-up to a squat, back to the curl, like one rep of each? Those are more like stunts or feats of strength than they are, yeah. to me, exercise. I agree.
1: So, you know, when you talk about the muscles around the spine or the rotator cuffs, you know, uh, they're, they're commonly known as uh, stabilizer muscles. Yes. And when we talk about free weights versus machines, a lot of times I'll say something like, uh, well, if you want to work your stabilizer muscles, you need to use free weights. Because that's how you work to stabilize the muscles. Um, what, What would you say to that?
2: And I would say is if they're stabilizing while they're using the free weights, then they're using the stabilizing muscles, right? And if they're stabilizing while you're using a machine? They're using the stabilizer So muscles.
1: could you work out those stabilizer muscles of the shoulder on a, on a, on a machine chest yes. press the same way yes. you can use uh, strength and stabilize the muscles of the shoulder
2: right. on it, a free weight bench press? It's what your body is doing that counts, not, not the tool. So if someone's on a free it's, weight… Is it the same though? Is it, this, is it doing it the same
3: way? So you can do it both ways, but is it the same?
2: Well, if, if you want to… Skill is very specific. So if you want a barbell bench press, you have to barbell bench press. Because
1: is your advantage to your sta- stabilizer muscles to do it uh, with a free weight bench press as opposed to a I don't see it. machine. I chest don't see press? it
2: other than to help the ability to free weight bench press. But if that's not why the person's training, if the person is just training for strength, the health the... benefits of exercise, right. to use it broadly, I don't think it matters if you stabilize if you're on a, a machine chest press and you're keeping your sh- shoulder blades down and back, and you're not buckling. You're not buckling your elbows, and you're, you're tightening. You're, you're you're voluntarily controlling the range of motion. I don't see how that stabilization is different than if you're on a barbell bench press. And you have to stabilize do, the, same the same way. <laughs> and that's if you're doing that. because
1: you're balancing. Because you know you both arms have to work independently in a way. that's
2: see to me that just makes it risky. That doesn't add. Any what benefit. about
3: what about like uh, in contrast to let's say. Push up, a body weight push up. Obviously, there's a lot more going on because you're holding into a plank position, which incorporates so many more muscles of your entire body. Um, right. But, you know, like Adam, and even, we were talking the other day about, I mean, just the feeling, you I know, mean, if you're not used to doing push ups regularly, which, you know, Adam would usually, you know, he's all about you know, machines and stuff like that. I do a little bit of everything, but, uh, you know, slow protocol, but it's different. One of our clients, he is unbelievably strong. On all of the machines. Um, We're talking like top, you know, top 10% in weight on everything hip abduction, leg press, chest press, pull downs, everything. And this guy could barely do eight limited range of motion squats with his body weight, and he struggles with slow push-ups like doing five or six push-ups at five seconds down five seconds up to you know 90 degrees at the elbow he's not even going past you know my point is he's working exponentially harder despite he's only dealing with his body weight than he is doing on the machines in all categories
2: so he, so here's the thing though unless that's a thing with him that i have to be able to do 100 push-ups or whatever what's the difference you know it, it, it uh, uh, the, the difference
1: is uh, I, I understand why, that the question. question is why though. Why, well, why, why, why could, why, why 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 could he lift four hundred, five hundred pounds on a medex chest press? He oh, i Hardly uh, do a couple of pushups. Oh, I'll tell you why. Because, and should he be doing pushups now? Because we've have we discovered some kind of weakness that he needs yeah, to work yes, on pushups.
3: But it's, but
2: it's not in his pecs and his shoulders.
3: Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with exactly. It's not
2: his, the weakness is probably in his trunk. Like I don't know what the guy's built like. The weakness is in his trunk because. If you're, suspending, if you're in a push-up, you're suspending yourself between your toes and your arms.
1: But somebody should probably be doing ab work. Should Let's, be the lower back no, extension. No, you should be doing push-ups.
2: You right. should be practicing push-ups. But, but practicing in a, in a way that's right, not doing the push-up and, and hyperextending his back no, or doing a push-up with his butt in his air. No. Do a perfect push-up, and then if your form breaks, stop, recover. Do another perfect push-up. Because we're getting back into things that are very, very specific. So for instance, if you told me he was strong on every machine and he comes back every weekend and he's constantly pulling things in his back, then I would say yes, you have to address it. Right. The you know something this is my, my
3: observations are more or less uh about he is i think there's something to do with his coordination and the way he he's not comfortable in his own body you know what i'm saying i mean i I, I like like for example his hips turn out like significantly like he can't he can't put his feet parallel on the leg press for example and then so if i ever had him do like a limited range of motion lunge it's even his feet go into very awkward positions you know so I can tell he struggles with balance. He's an aspiring golfer as well. His coordination is—I mean, his his uh, swing is really. I hope he never listens to this. (laughs) It's horrible. Exactly. Not giving his name.
2: See, here's the thing now. So you, as a trainer, have to decide: Am I going to reconfigure what he's been doing, at the risk of making him feel very incompetent and getting very discouraged, or? Do I just want to, instead of doing a machine chest press say we'll work on push-ups? Do you just want to introduce some of these new things that he's not good at, a li- dribble them out to him a little at a time, so it gives him, a, you know, so it's like a new challenge for him, or is that going to demoralize him? Is he going to say forget he's this? Not,
3: he's not demoralized at all. That is not even in on the table. I understand what you're saying, and there are other people who I think would look at yeah. it that way. Um, he is. Uh, I think he looks at it as a new challenge. He. I think he knows. Like we've discussed this very, very openly. He, he, I, we, he definitely. Uh, um, it feels like he doesn't have control over his body, you know, in a way. Despite his level, his strength, it's like I feel that. Uh, uh, well,
2: that, but
3: that's you know. And I, and, and I, I to be, uh, my instincts as a trainer were like I, w- I want to see this guy be able to feel like he's strong, doing something that is a little bit more incorporates his body in space more than just being on a machine and because his strength is I mean if I'm measuring his strength based on what he can do by you know pressing forward or pulling back or squatting down he's he's passed the test with with A's you know and great form you know and he does all the other exercises with pretty pretty good form But he's struggling with them. He has to work a lot harder in order to do it. And it's just, to me, it's an interesting thing to see someone who lifts, you know, very heavy weights on the chest press and could barely do four slow push-ups. All right, so
2: let's look at the push-up from a different angle. Take someone who can do push-ups, who can do push-ups adequately, strictly and all, and have somebody, have, have another adult sit on their butt, Okay. All of a sudden, those perfect push ups, even though you probably raw strength could bench press an extra body person, say, can't do it. Because somebody who's thicker in the hips, right, has more weight around the hips, represented by the person sitting on their back, mm-hmm. their dimensions are such that their hips are always going to be weighing them down.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that person's core, like, so a person with broader hips, in order to do push up, their core has to be much stronger than somebody with very narrow hips. Because they have less weight in the mm-hmm. middle of their body. So some of these things are a function of proportion. I know, like men and women. In other women, words, you, women can't women carry train,
1: their, you can't train for it. In other words, you can't improve you can't, it. You can't train around. Right, right. can't I know like, women around.
3: have their center of gravity in general in their hips, and that's why push-ups like, are very, very, strong. I have extremely
1: strong individuals. A perfect example of what you're talking about right now. I, I know people are extremely, extremely strong. But some of these very, very strong individuals can do a lot of weight on a pullover machine they can do a lot of weight on a pull-down machine but as soon as you put them on a chin-up bar mm-hmm. they can't do it does that mean they're not strong does that mean that they can't do chin-ups that they should be working on chin-ups because there's, we discovered a weakness no these people for example might have Shitty tendon insertions, yeah, or, or, uh, or they, they, like you said about body weight and, and, and center of gravity. If they have really thick, heavy lower body, I notice off. that people that have big, thick lower bodies, really strong people, or if they
2: have you, long arms,
1: or if they have really long arms, right. it the leverage lever is a and, and so, so it begs the question: Well, let's start, let's start doing chin-ups. You know, but you'll get better, but you'll never proportionally get better uh, Than chin-ups given your proportions, given your tendon insertions, right. given your length right. of your arms. So maybe, Mike, this person is just not built to do push-ups. And we're, you're essentially just giving him another chest and body exercise that's not necessarily going to improve or help anything because it's a, it's a proportional thing. It's a leverage thing. Now, it's the only way you're going to know, thing. though. Especially no, if the you're the telling me you're that he's know. so strong and everything else. The only way you're going to know, though, is to try it. Well,
3: that, that's the thing, and, and that's what I've been doing. And We just started it maybe in the last month. And frankly, both of us are excited by it. He's been here for a few years, and I think he also, I think, is starving to do something a little new.
2: Novelty is... is I think think
3: that's a piece of the puzzle as well, because even if you're coming once a week and you get results, it gets a little stale. And the thing is, is, and that's what I've tried to make an effort of making all of the exercise we're doing, you know, congruent, joint-friendly, No limited, you know, very limited range of motion, and the thing is, uh, he's embracing the challenge, and he's feeling it too. He's like, you know, how people, you know, I I know the deal with soreness and stuff like that, new stimulus, you know, uh, not you know, joint friendly. No, no,
2: in that that case, the feel, the feel counts, right? Mm -hmm. Right, feel doesn't isn't you know it doesn't always mean something it, good it doesn't always mean something bad and in that right. case it's, it, does. It,
3: it is a little bit of a marketing thing
1: you know if
2: you're, you're, you're trying to the person excited it, well not exactly. a marketing just
3: a
1: motivator
2: you're right there's nothing marketing. to be
1: ashamed of yeah. uh, right. for motivation if push-ups you,
2: you is them. motivating this guy yeah. then do push-ups they're,
1: it, they're a great exercise regardless but
2: now getting back to your general question about whether free weights lend itself to mm-hmm. stabilizing the core better or not mm-hmm. If that's what the person is doing on the exercise, then it is. So if the person's doing the push-up and it's very tight, yes, he's exercising his core. If the person's doing the push-up and it's sloppy, one shoulder's rising up, one elbow's to the so side. It doesn't matter elbow. that it's a push-up. He's still not doing he's it right. Still he's still, doing still doing not it right. working his core. That's right. <laughs> so it's really what the person's using in their body, how they're using the body, d- determines whether they're um, training their core appropriately, not the, the source of the resistance.
1: And I'm sorry. I mean, I, you know, I, I've done compound rows with, with free weights in, in, in all kinds of ways over the years, and uh, now I'm doing compound row with a, with a retrofitted MedX machine with a with a cam that really is represent pretty pretty good uh, uh, cam design and. I challenge anyone to think that they're not working everything they need to work <laughs> on that machine because you got to keep your shoulders. Still got to keep your shoulders down. You got still got to keep your chest up. You still have to, right. you know, not not hunch over your shoulders when you're lowering the weight. I mean, there's a lot of things you've got to do right on on a compound That's right. machine. That's just right. Just like when if you're using free weights, and I I don't personally, I've never really noticed much of a benefit. And how would you measure that benefit anyway? Like how would you be able to prove that free weights is helping in uh, in one way where a machine's not how do you actually prove something like that you
2: know I because I, uh, I hear it all the time very,
1: oh you need to do it because you
3: need to you know, well, be you able know there's, to well, there's one, one measuring uh, thing actually uh, you, you well, answered I was going to
2: say but a lot of a lot of claims and exercise a lot of the chain of, uh, of thought goes like this you make the claim the result and there's this big black box in the middle that you know there's no explanation of, of why doing this leads to this sure yeah, if you say the claim, the claim and the result turns out, then the claim, yes, then it's correlated right, and that's right, right. therefore. therefore. Um, see, I was going to say, you know, get, getting to like CrossFit and boot camp type things and uh, even following along a DVD program, whatever brand name you choose. The problem I have with that from a joint friendly perspective is you have too many moving parts for you to be managing your posture and taking care of your joints. So especially if you're trying to keep up with the kettlebell class. I mean, I imagine it's possible that you can do certain kettlebell exercises and protect your lower back and protect your shoulders. It's possible, but what the user has to decide is how likely is it, right? So I know for me personally, I can be as meticulous as I want with a kettlebell or with a barbell deadlift, and at some point I'm going to hurt myself. Not from being over over ambitious, not from sloppy form, something's going to go wrong. Somebody else might look at those two exercises and say, No, I'm very confident I can get this. So, you know, you pay your money, you take your chance. <laughs> you
1: know,
3: as a as a measuring tool, sometimes you you never know if one's better or worse, but sometimes every once in a while, even when you have clients come into our gym, you know, and you have them do everything very carefully with a very, very modest weight. And sometimes people say, you know, Mike, I, you know, I've never had any knee problems, and, and my knees are bothering me a little bit, you know, and I think it's the leg press that's been doing. It. I've, you know, ever since we started doing that, uh, you know, I'm feeling like a little bit of a tweak in the knee. It's not, it's I'm feeling it when I go upstairs, something like that. And then, uh, you know, one of the first things I'll do is, you know, like, okay, when did this start? You, you, you know, you interview them. You try to, uh, you know, draw some lines or, you know, some hypothesis to what, what's going on. And, and obviously, there might be some wear and tear in their life that happened. I, there almost definitely was. And maybe something about their alignment on the leg press is not right. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're completely wrong. Um but one of the things I'll do first is say, okay, well, we still want to work your legs, we still want to work your quads and your hamstrings and your glutes. Let's try doing some limited range of motion squats against the wall or with a TRX or something like that. And then, like, uh, hey, uh, how are your knees feeling over the last couple of weeks? Actually, you know, much much better ever since we stopped doing the leg
1: press. You know, and
3: well,
2: sometimes just, sometimes some movements just don't agree with some joints. That, yeah, that, it reminds me no, of a tri-
1: there's a there's a Nautilus tricep machine that I used to use. Uh, and uh, it was like kind of like... The a, one up you, here? Yeah, and you do yeah. a karate chop, right? And Pressure and on and the and your, elbows, and your elbows are stabilized yep. uh, on the pad, and I'd karate chop down. with an old Nautilus machine. And, and uh, I got these sharp pains on my elbows. No one else that I trained on that machine ever had that sharp pain in their elbows, but I bothered the hell out of my elbows. Yeah. So I would do uh, other tricep extensions without ever a problem. So
2: I, does it make that a bad exercise? You know... Well, for me, but but it if did. You, for <laughs> you it did, but if you notice, certain machine designs have disappeared.
1: Mm-hmm. There's what a, are we're talking there's about, there's
2: a reason why those those machine designs disappeared. Yeah. So there's a reason why. Um, I think in, in the nitro line, the an nitro, older. This
1: there, is I, I, I
2: know the machine you're talking about. They used to call it like a multi tricep, right? I think so. Okay, and it held your upper your upper arms were held basically parallel. And you had to kind of karate chop the handles right, so down, and it wasn't, account- were, it wasn't accounting for the carrying angle. Your elbows weren't, well, oh, I'll get that. Your elbows, <laughs> your elbows were slightly above your shoulders, and you had, to, you had to move your elbows in a parallel. Later designs, they moved it out here. They gave them independent axes. Right. That's not an accident, right? right. I mean, a certain amount of ligament binding happens, and then. Right. Um, like no, obviously, li- my ligament ligaments bang- were just not
1: coping with that very well.
2: That's right. And, that, and, and how much... So, for instance, exactly what joint angle your ligaments bind at is individual. But if you're going in this, in this direction, there is a point where the shoulder ligaments bind and you have to do this. Well, that machine forced us in the bound position. Yeah. So when movement has to happen, it can't happen at the shoulder because you're pinned in the seat. It was happening in your elbow. Might not be the same with everybody, sure was. but that is how the model.
1: Yeah,
2: h- how the model works. So, getting back to your
1: client, with the leg press. I mean, that leg press just. Well, that, the thing is, you, well, know, you uh, can play with different positions. I'm trying too. to like you decipher some of you know. like the,
3: the you know going try to find where the issues may be. Oftentimes, I think it's you know the client's probably just there's some maybe some alignment issues. It bands are tight or something like that, or maybe there's a weak uh, uh, vast media. There's, there could be a lot of different little things, but you know the machines are perfect and symmetrical, but the you are aren't. Not, aren't yeah, know, you right. know what I'm saying? And, and you're trying to put your body that's not through a pattern, a movement pattern, that it's, has to be fixed in this plane right. when your body kind of wants to go a little to the right, a little to the left, a little to the right, or something like that. It just wants to do that even though you're, just, you're, you're still uh, extending and flexing. In my mind, and through some of the literature that I've explored, has made me think, you know, I don't have the answer, but I'm thinking something along the lines is we're working with this person's issues, you know, I still want them to be able to do a squat or a leg press in this fashion or that fashion. This is where they got some knee pain. This is where I, they didn't, I don't know exactly what the, the cause is or whatever, but no pain, exercise, okay, pain, exercise, not okay. And that's kind of where I, I've directed those types of things.
2: Well, you know, and I think that's where a, a lot of attempts at franchising... One right way to exercise, where where it falls, right, it fails. Whether it was uh, uh, curves, where the 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 attendees had to fit into those machines, (laughs) or they couldn't exercise, you know, or go back in the 80s when you used to have Nautilus fitness centers all over the place, but it was it was you know one set to failure, no rest, everything it was cookie cutter, and. You know, it doesn't really catch because nobody has perfectly fluid joints that can fit into every, everything. So in our type of environment where it's, it's ultimately it's personal training, we feature machines, but it's personal training, we at least have the option to say, okay, if this hurts, we're going to try an alternate. We're going to work the same muscles in the same joint. We'll just find the way that doesn't hurt. I don't see that you're losing anything of it, right. you know. Um, I'm also not selling the equipment. <laughs> right, so right. I mean right. I, that is what I'm selling is that that service of saying, okay, well if this hurts we we have an alternative that maybe doesn't hurt, and you're gonna get the same benefit yeah from my
3: my experience I, that's the thing with uh with our business, I think what we all do, I think quite well is that I mean, you know it's is understanding that you know, we have basic movements. We know what we want to do to, to, make, to strengthen the quads, to strengthen the chest, to strengthen the shoulders. But there are you know, some customizations and some things we have to consider when we take a new client or an existing client over time and, uh, and work with, with you know, what's going on. And there's you know, psychological things. There's so many different things to, to, uh, to take in.
2: Now, I do, I do think, though, that one thing that was better in the early 80s is because we had all these nautilus fitness centers around with the, the one right way to work out, even though that didn't catch, I noticed the trainers who came through that system, you had a common vocabulary that you could work off of. So at Sports Training Institute, which was around at the time, we would get trainers from those types of nautilus fitness centers. and. It was like that was sort of like the default workout, one set to failure, full range of motion on this machine. But if the client didn't like going to failure or if the machine didn't agree with them, it would take us, you know, we, we had the option of doing what we do now. Um, trainers today, people coming out of school today or even with multiple certifications, there's a definite, to me, there's like a lack of... Um, it's like the anything goes school of exercise, right? If I call it an exercise, it's an exercise. There's no common vocabulary. So a young trainer will come in the studio and see that I have a kettlebell. He's, oh, great! I'm going to do this. No, you're not. No, 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 no. The kettlebells hold the door open. <laughs> that was <laughs> for experimentation. Stops. That was for experimentation only, and I was the <laughs> guinea pig. No, you, we do not do that with clients. <laughs> um, there's a, there's too much of an anything goes mentality, like you know. Uh, just because just because some physical labor you did makes you breathless and makes you sweat, makes your muscles burn and pumps you up, doesn't necessarily make it a good idea. Right. Um, and that, I think, is very common among newer trainers. And I, again, I sound like an old – definitely sound like an old – No, I think you're s-
3: absolutely right. It's a, there's a there's – a, I think uh, younger, newer trainers, they, they uh, get high off of selling themselves as someone who's going to kill you. And, and, and you know, they want their client to tell their friends, oh my God, you got to meet my trainer. He just beat the shit out of me. Oh my God. And, it's- and, and
2: personally, I think that is more of a turnoff than they realize.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very immature way of... Uh, you no, know, there's,
2: there's uh, a reason why, like I don't know about the city, but about, there's plenty of fitnesses all over the place by me. And I judiciously ride by them during some peak hours. And the parking lots are full. And it's a much more low-key. Now, granted, I, maybe you know, maybe the quality of... Ins- well, I don't really know what they're doing inside. I'm going to assume it's not, too, not entirely vigorous based on their marketing. Spend the 10 bucks and find out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, you know, there's a reason why people join health clubs in January and drop out the rest of the year. You know, Something isn't connecting, and I, I really think that hard-ass presentation is part of it.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: It was a great discussion. Well, thank you. You came... Uh, we're in Manhattan right now, and... Uh, Bill came
2: all the way from New Jersey. Cram- Central New-, New Jersey, as a matter of fact. Where? Central New Jersey. Cranberry, New Jersey. Where, where is that? Near ex- Exit 8A off the turnpike. <laughs> <laughs> off what, exit? A- what exit? A- what exit, yeah. A- so I- I have a little it's one there. mile off that exit. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it is. Uh, much smaller than you guys have. I yeah, have 800 square feet. Yeah, yeah. Approximately a line of nautilus. Yeah. Um, with other things. A couple of cardio pieces. Mainly to say I have it. And if I can do one worthwhile thing with it, I'll use it like a heavy rope. It's kind of a silly piece of exercise equipment, to be blunt. But I figured out one exercise I can do that's not going to hurt people, that seems to work. So just to have it for variety and novelty, we have it. Um, and I have a Swiss ball, a medicine ball, and, and various items, again, just for the novelty. Um, well, so do we, by the way. So the difference between
1: what we, we do, do on the exercise, is,
2: is virtually... Nothing compared to what we do, what, what any What's of us do. There. Compared yeah. to, you know, the boot camps and yeah. Um, no, the key the key is time efficient and safe. Maybe
1: we should invite some of those people on our podcast. People that completely think com- think what we're doing is bullshit, yeah. and see what they have to say. They dare walk into our space.
2: <laughs> you know, it it, it it is interesting because the exercise industry has created this. They've created this structure that I don't think I, I kinda think is a house of cards. Like it appears to have a lot of substance to it, but if you can't apply it to most people who walk in your door, what good is it? And that's kinda why I got away from NSCA type stuff and heavy industry stuff and
1: yeah, let me tell you, but you know what you you say that, but CrossFit is very popular, from my understanding. understand. And there's a lot
2: of trend toward and Barry's
1: booty. boot camp. Just there's yeah, a lot of boutique was, fitness yeah, was, centers I know, now. I know. Oh I, yeah. I know yeah. An equity, a private equity company bought out Barry's boot camp. And they're, well, they're,
2: listen, I'm not giving investment advice, but I'm talking yeah. about as far as. Um,
1: so you're shorting
3: it, right? <laughs> well, well, well. Yeah, but you know it's something. Like, he's giving again, again, advice. No, sure. because
2: but if you talk to people in any of these boot camp things, by us, everybody's mm. banged up. Oh yeah. And, and all the and, and, physical
3: therapists we have here, they say their they're, they're their business is fantastic because of CrossFit. And see,
2: boot camp. see, and those things, see, <laughs> see, things like that normalize getting injured in exercise. It's, but it's just like politics, right? If if you if you say something outrageous, everything up to outrageous gets normalized, even though that stuff's outrageous. Right.
1: Yeah. So Uh, if if, uh, like low carb diet, I'm eating 100 grams of carbs a day, and that's considered a low carb diet. Well, yeah, compared to the average American diet of 500 carbs a day, (laughs) but but 100 grams of carbs is not
3: that low. You know, Jamie, uh, my 6:30 on uh, Tuesday morning, um, he uh, he said one of his a girl in his office you know, is, is hurt, her low back is like, is, is hurt, and she can't wait to get back to CrossFit when her back feels <laughs> Absolutely. better. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Like, we were like, what? This is-
2: I mean- See, again, <laughs> they've normalized getting injured as part of exercise. Oh,
1: sure. Well, we've, for no, forever, it's been no pain, no gain, forever. Wait, but the thing yeah. is, there's a, the, the thing is, no, like, you, know, like- you know
2: something? I think Jones in the early days of Nautilus, granted, there was some excessive, you know, we, we overtrained and trained too hard and stuff like that, but, There was a little more of an, I mean, Darden's books and stuff like that. There was a little more awareness of not of the exercise itself not causing new problems. Well, then at the time, as you said in your
3: in your books and your in your pamphlets, it was all about bodybuilders at the time. You know, people now like everybody thinks, yeah, I gotta go to the gym, I gotta get fit, I gotta you know my cardio, my heart disease, I gotta make sure I'm you know I'm healthy for my kids and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's like it's it's. It's everywhere now, and everybody feels they have to participate in getting exercise, whether they do it or not.
2: But see, that person really... Can't justify getting hurt at exercise. I, yeah, I, I got to yeah, stay healthy yeah, for my kids, yeah, so I'm going to yeah. trash my back and my rotator cuff. <laughs> but the thing is, well, I, that's, have, a, sep- a,
3: lot of work that's a separate yeah. thing. But the thing is, the, the, the CrossFit thing—it's amazing that the, the, the community and the, the cult, like they, they just can't wait to be back. At, you know, at their next uh, session, which was yesterday. You know, you know, which is tomorrow. You know, and uh, and you know, the relatively very intense
2: you know classes or but I don't know I stuff. haven't
1: met too many people that have been doing crossfit for 50 years <laughs>
2: not too many old crossfitters you, you know. not too
1: many people doing crossfit for years you know, like, I, i've been doing crossfit for two years i've been doing CrossFit i have a client right now
3: who does it uh, every weekend and he's got a lot of problems by the way it's humbly shoulder problems back problems you know, I, See, I, yeah, I, I,
2: I cannot relate to that guy's thinking at all mm-hmm. I, I i honestly like that here's the thing going back
3: to like connecting with the uh, like I, every time someone tells me they're going to do their you know, boot camps or whatever i'm like listen uh be very mindful about what you're doing. In you know, in the, I, I mean, I'm try I don't. I never want to say, "Don't do it." You know, you don't don't, do, it don't do it but, because yeah. I, I used to. I used to do that, and I saw that people were they they stopped listening to me immediately. And I, now I'm just trying to. Worst, just, they stop coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, it's uh, I, I, we've had. I wrestled with that for many years, and now I, I just try to encourage mindfulness. You know, and uh, and you know, some people they listen, and other people are like. Uh, yeah, they just keep on going. Mike, you're going to kill me, man. I went to the, the fitting room again, and, oh, man, it was crazy. <laughs> you know,
1: we also get misrepresented and misunderstood when, you know, for example, I've heard recently even that some people were like, I like that Informed Fitness. I like the concept of, of that once-a-week high-intensity workout. But, uh, but I like working out every single day. So I don't know. I don't know if that's for me because I'd rather work out every single day as if it's a mutually exclusive decision. And what I like to say is, uh, and, and, and that's not where we stand. That's not what we say. We say, if you do this, don't do anything else in your life. What we're saying is all you need is one really highly intense workout per week. And then do all your other things if you like doing all those other things. If you'd like to get on a treadmill and burn off some steam every single day, then do so. But do so in moderation, do so carefully, and understand the risks associated with that. But you don't, but, but you don't have to not do it. What, what you need to be careful of is not do, overdoing too many really super-duper intense workouts. Right. that's what we're really saying. Yeah, there needs to be
3: um, space. Exactly, space. If you're doing intense yoga or intense uh, boxing, it's like there needs to be more space in between your weight training and those types of th- things.
2: Well, I probably, especially over the summers, quote work out every day. I'm still only using the weights once a week. Yeah, well, same, same thing. But, same but as, every same day as I'm as either on a bike or I'm doing a fast walk with the dog. You're or recreating, a fast, man. You're living, you're, 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 you know. Nothing wrong getting a heart pumping. Who knows?
1: Yeah.
3: Honestly, yeah. I've been encouraging like, and I I do this myself. I use the crossball. I I my, I have really have no pains on my body, but I do little lacrosse ball stuff on my hips and my low back, like foam roller type yeah. of things. Yep. And then uh, and then, uh, uh, some mobility exercises, like some pelvic tilts and some I like some glute bridges and bird dogs that type of thing. And I, I've with some of my clients who are very very tight on a regular basis or feel you know their lower back tightness. I just Try these things. They're, they're, they're relatively innocuous. It right. doesn't feel like much, but uh, you know, I teach them how to do it. And almost all of them are reporting, you know, Mike, I've been doing it for a few weeks and I feel a little bit better. And I mean, and it, like a little relief from the, the general strain. And I think that's, that's the type of stuff I like to encourage on a daily basis, keep their mind on their body. And-
2: well, I noticed you have like you know Pilates on, on the door. Yep. I really think once a week, high intensity, whether it's machines or free weights... And the discipline like a Pilates or a yoga Or even just, you know, yeah. if you want to use a non-branded term yeah. mobilization exercises yeah. I think that's exactly the right combination As mm-hmm. far as staying healthy and being physically capable as we get older right. That's exactly the right combination, right? The days of heavy lifting three right. times a week
1: yeah. so, so there you go if I, was, if I was anti, if we stood for You wouldn't you, have that stuff You here. wouldn't have uh, an acupuncturist here Or a Pilates instructor here You right. wouldn't have a massage therapist here you know, it's not one-size-fits-all, number one. And they're two different things. This is high-intensity right, right. exercise to get you as strong as hell in the safest manner possible. And then, like you said, mix it in with some of these and, more body things. Yeah, our Pilates things instructor like thinks
3: what we do here is fantastic. She, she, you know, we, and we have a lot of clients between both of us. You know, it's, it's fantastic.
1: Bill, thank you so much for coming here. I hope you'd come back. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, would, would you come back for some Of course talk? I will.
0: All
3: very
2: right. good. Yeah,
0: thank you thank very you, much, Bill. We really appreciate it. All right. Did you get all that? Hope you did. If not, give it another listen. Valuable content here regarding high-intensity training safely with Bill Simone, Mike Rogers, and Adam Zickerman. Hey, check out the show notes for a few links that will assist you in building muscle, burning fat, and recharging your metabolism safely. You'll find a link to Bill Simone's book, Congruent Exercise, How to Make Weight Training Easier on Your Joints, of course, if you haven't picked up Adam's book yet, Power of Ten, the once-a-week slow-motion fitness revolution, you might want to add that to your cart in Amazon along with Bill's book. To find an Informed Fitness location nearest you, visit informfitness.com. At the time of this recording, we have locations in Manhattan, Long Island, Denville, Burbank, Boulder, Leesburg, and Reston. Adam, Mike, and Sheila are awaiting your comments and questions regarding the Power of Ten Send them an email or record a voice memo on your phone and shoot it on over to podcast at informfitness.com. You can also leave a voicemail by calling 888-983-5020-Extension 3. Thanks again for listening to the Inform Fitness Podcast. For Adam, Mike, Sheila, and Bill D. Simone, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.